Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Hi, I'm here. What's your tagline? Mac and cheese as an adult. Sam Schultz is also here. Hello. What's your favorite noodle? I kind of like the big hollow ones. Uh, oh, penne? Rigatoni? Oh, I like a penne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like bigger the hollow ones, though? Ziti? No, no. Sometimes they're no, like big, no, like they're no. tube, like you like yeah. toilet paper roll. That's the rigatoni. Uh, too big. That's the good stuff. Because then little bits of, of ground beef get stuck in there. Ooh. That's nice. What's fusilli? Is that spiral? <laughs> the spir- spiral. Those are fun. Wait, aren't those bow tie? No, bow, bow ties, ties are bow tie shaped. No, oh, okay. <laughs> Today's tangents about pasta. <laughs> and what's your tagline? Barely hanging in there. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. A si- I'm a little sick. Happy to share the couch with you then. I'm far away from you. <laughs> Sari's here too. Yep, I'm here. What's your tagline, Sari? Made of goo. Uh, Whoa. Yes, ultimately. Like, mm-hmm. We're just all goo. Space goo. <laughs> That's what Carl Sagan said. We are all star goo. <laughs> and I'm Hank Green. And my tagline is tickle nose. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together here in the basement to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. And we're also keeping score, awarding Sam Bucks from week to week. <laughs> <laughs> They're called Sam Bucks because Sam won season one. Uh-huh. And we all get to start with zero points. 
which is great news for me because <laughs> yeah. I because you're a loser. <laughs> yeah, I have way less of a deficit to make up now. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging from previous conversations, we won't be great at that. So if someone deems your tangent unworthy, you have to give up one of your sandbox. And yes, you can go negative. And now it's time to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Stefan. Hello there, Alice. My name is Bob. I've looked at your profile. Can we talk about love? Alice said sure, so we exchanged public keys and began a series of private messaging. No one could see our super hot secure connection because of the way we were using high bit encryption. Oh. This was no random integer, no game of darts. We were unlocking the enigmas of each other's hearts. And all was going well until an alarming notification. Someone has changed all my account information? How could this be? The permutations were endless. To brute force that encryption would be stupendous. But alas, I'm locked out for good, I despair. Alice is lost and my feelings undergo slow repair. Oh. The worst thing, it's my own fault. I wasn't being secure. That's the last time I used the password 1234. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cryptography is the topic of today. I love Stefan's poems because sometimes he doesn't have a rhyme, so he just says a word weird. <laughs> Slant rhyme is still rhyme. That was like a powerful poem to kick off the new season, though. It was <laughs> steamy. It had a joke at the end. And also, I am ready for the sequel. I want to know how it poem. ends. Did she steal his password? Is that what the <gasps> oh. implication is? You'll have to wait and see. Okay. <laughs> Sari, what's cryptography? So cryptography, very broadly, is writing or solving codes. And for a while, like a really long time, it focused on messages, like secret messages and yeah. encoding them and decoding them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I don't know, spies and militaries used a lot of mm -hmm. cryptography. But now uh, in computer science, cryptography refers to a bunch of information security techniques uh, like you were talking about with Alice and Bob, which are the two stand-ins for person A and person B in mm. modern day mm -hmm. cryptography. Oh. Yeah, so now encryption and cryptography is much more complicated. It has a lot of algorithms, and the codes are much harder to crack, I think, because we have computers creating the patterns. It seems like, to me, part of why you need so many bits is because computers got more powerful, and so yeah. like they can brute force things much faster. We'll eventually have quantum computers, and... There is concern about this. Will that, they be able that, to hack everything? Yeah. Well, the thing is that then we will have more advanced computers to do the cryptography. It will yeah. always be easier to create a cipher than break one. So if you got a more fancy computer, you should be able to make more fancy encryption. But I don't know. Maybe not. But I have hmm. heard this thing, this concern, that we, we may soon someday have computers that will sort of have no issue with the way we're currently doing encryption. Mm -hmm. So basically, cryptography is any way of passing information secretly. Well, the information is public, but you can't know what the meaning of the information is. Yes, I think so. Because passing information secretly might just be like, I hid it under a rock. Mm -hmm. But that's not cryptography. <laughs> no, that's steganography. The dinosaur? <laughs> I also had not heard this word before researching today, but... Yeah, it's the practice of concealing a file, message, image, or video within another file, message, image, or video. Oh, um, that's when you like create new folder on your computer. <laughs> Who knows what's in there? Yeah, yeah and then in there is new folder too. Uh -huh. New folder too. <laughs> and then the inside of that yeah, yeah. one is like, do you really want to keep going? Because it's probably best for everybody if you don't. Uh -huh. <laughs> and now it's time for. 
where one of our panelists has prepared three science facts, but only one of those is true, and the rest of us have to guess. And if we get it right, we get a Sam Buck. If not, Sarah gets the Sam Buck, because you're the one who's trying to trick us today. What do you got? I don't really have a good preamble for this. Which of these encryption methods that I liked was real? (laughs) (laughs) Back to basics for uh, episode one, season two. (laughs) Number one. Sending a message where the key is random letters on a page in a nitrocellulose film notepad with many sheets. So you can rip out a page and destroy it after each use. Number two, sending a message in building blueprints where the hidden key was derived from things like the particular building, which doors were drawn as open, and how many windows there were. Ooh, good. Or number three, Sending a message in pamphlets that looked like children's drawings featuring ghost characters, where their dialogue was a combination of gibberish and rhyming spells that could be decoded. So we've got number one, there is a random key that was on a page of nitrocellulose Mm -hmm. that you could just tear off and vaporize it instantly with a match. Number two, sending a message through building blueprints where the keys were based on details in the blueprints like open doors and how many windows there were. Or three, sending a message in pamphlets that looked like children's drawings featuring ghost characters that did a bunch of weird gibberish spells that could then be deciphered. Hmm. Okay. So I think the blueprint one, you Mm -hmm. can't draw a door closed in blueprints, can you? Yeah. You can? Yeah. Why and how? Just make I it think the main thing with, the, with doors being open in blueprints is so you know how to install, install it to open in or out. Yeah. But if it's a kind of door oh. that doesn't open in or out, maybe kind it's of door a pocket no door, door or it's like a frump frump at the grocery oh, store. Sure. Any door that opens in a blueprint would have like a little pizza slice that shows you what space that occupies while it's th- while going it's through the, its motion. Okay. Yes. Because wow. so you don't hit the toilet. Which I yeah, I've been in that bathroom where you're like, oh, they didn't, they didn't think of this, but I guess I will just just cut a little hole in the door, <laughs> toilet the, hole, toilet hole, yeah. yeah, and then you can look through the toilet hole and make sure everything's going on okay. Yeah. <laughs> Slip notes through it. Uh, so my logic is flawed, I suppose. Then, but I still think that one's not real because of my good deduction. <laughs> That's the one I like the most. There's yeah. something that pleases my spreadsheet brain about it, that, mm, like all yeah. these little details hidden yeah. in the diagram. Sure. You could hide so you could hide so much stuff in yeah. the blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people just look at it and be like, boring. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I like the ghost one I like because the ghost I want to hear about too. it. Yeah. I want it to be real. <laughs> I want it to be real because so, I want to know more. Yeah. So I'm going to pick that one. So, but with the, the cellulose one, are you destroying the key after you've decoded the message? So you have like a notepad uh-huh. full of keys. And then the idea was that you like use the key and then you rip it off and then you burn it up. So that right. it can Anyone never be used again. Burns no, no. piece of paper. But nitrocellulose burns very fast. Oh. So if there's like okay. the Nazis got you and you're like, I gotta oh. burn my code book. <laughs> well, I'm going with the architecture one. Okay. okay. I really like burning nitrocellulose. Seems real, but I'm gonna go ghosts. Ooh. I'm gonna go ghosts. It was the nitrocellulose. Oh, <laughs> on a God. biscuit. I got a powerful start to this yeah. season. Three points for Sari. Oh, I love the ghost. She's too strong to stop now. She's too strong. <laughs> the blueprints I just made up because I also thought it would be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was sad no one had done it. Yeah. yeah. Anytime that you make blueprints, people are going to look at them really carefully. You screwed up. The ghost drawings are sort of based on the 
Steganographia, which was written around 1500 by a monk called Johannes Trithemius. And he was like a chronicler, as many monks were, and also maybe an occultist and into like Mm -hmm. magic stuff. And so he wrote three volumes of a book that looked like they were just about magic, but they were actually about um, cryptography. Mm. And so if you knew how to read his books or decipher the symbols in it, then it was actually like three volumes on how codes worked and these codes that he either invented or worked with, like everything that looked like a magic spell was really a code. And also maybe some magic spells because he believed in that stuff. His books all got banned because they thought that they were about magic. So they were on Mm -hmm. like a forbidden book list for a long time. And then people thought that the third book actually was about magic. But then I think recently, like within the last couple of decades, somebody figured out that it also was not about magic and that there is a code in it. They just haven't figured it out quite yet. Yeah. But in book one and two, so the reason why I thought about ghost pamphlets is because in a summary of it, someone wrote that ostensibly the book explains how to use spirits to send secret messages over distances. Mm. And so they like listed out a bunch of like ghosts and the ranks of those ghosts and like example messages that you could tell the ghosts to send across (laughs) this time and distance. Ghosts is the best way to send secret messages. <laughs> yeah. Because you can trust them. If you have something that you can hold over them, be oh, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's all about blackmail <laughs> with the ghost. I have this letter from your long lost love. Right. You'll finally be released from this plane. Yeah. Your business will be done. But first, you got to go order me a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and so the real one is called a one-time pad. And it's really interesting because it's apparently the only form of encryption that has been mathematically proven to be uncrackable. Because every time you send a message, the pad, the notepad part of it, has a new page filled with random characters. And the person who sent the message has the exact same page with random characters. So you have like two copies of the notebook and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then once you're done, you destroy the page. And so Mm. it's like encrypted by a random string of letters and numbers mm-hmm. or whatever you choose and then decrypted by that that only appears once. What if you get a, like an accidentally receive an extra message and then you burn right. a page and then you're out of sync? Well, you you got to send your ghost friend to be like, hey, let them uh, know <laughs> that I got pretty confused. <laughs> Skip to page 22 in the notebook. Yeah, so I don't know, flawed system, but apparently a lot of military folks used it. Uh, cool. It was first invented by... A Californian banker named Frank Miller uh, for telegraphs. Hmm. And I guess he wanted to keep bank transactions confidential. Mm -hmm. But then it was developed again by Gilbert Vernum of Bell Telephone Laboratories Mm -hmm. and Joseph Malborn of the U.S. Army Signal Corps. So what they would do is like to their, I don't know, whoever they're corresponding with, they would print two exactly same booklets or make punch cards of two exactly same things Mm -hmm. and then hand them off. But Hmm. that issue of key transfer, of giving the key to the people, is what makes it less efficient, especially nowadays where it's like... We have computer Computer. encryption. You can do that over long distances without having to like physically hand something to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are like the booklets. I don't know if there were other messages that were shrunk down really small, but in the Soviet Union or Russia, I don't know at what point in the history, they were like hidden in walnut shells because they were just like very, very small random booklets that you'd send to your whoever needed to receive these messages. Um, And so you'd hide them in all sorts of weird ways in briefcases or and nuts. Or yeah. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, 
You think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Hello, welcome back. So... Sandbuck totals. Sari has three. Stefan yeah. has one. Sam and I are tied with nothing. I do love hearing Sandbuck said over and over again. <laughs> it's really nice. great. Yeah. Now it's time for the fact off, where two panelists have brought in science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Sandbuck to award the fact that they like the most. And I am going to be going head to head with Sam. And to decide who goes first, Sari's got a trivia question for us. On today, Monday, November 4th, 2019, how much is one Bitcoin worth? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say one Bitcoin is worth $700. I'm going to say $420. Can I guess two? Yeah. Well, yeah. But just for fun. I, yeah, just for fun. I'm going to guess $7,000. I don't actually know. Whoa. But $9,464.07. What the heck? A single coin? Yeah, (laughs) just one coin. So I go first because I was closest, though barely. Yeah. (laughs) So Invisible Ink is a thing. Uh, You can leave a message behind, and then if you have a special compound, that message will appear. We don't really need that so much anymore, but... A group of scientists at the Weizmann Institute of Science decided to design a system that instead of using chemistry to write the message, they could use chemistry to encrypt the message. So their idea was based on the Enigma machine, which was used by Germany in World War II, and that worked by generating an encryption for the message you were sending. So if you received the message, all you needed to know was the machine's settings used to encrypt it. For this system, though, instead of relying on a machine, the scientists created a chemical system which they called MSMS that can produce distinct emissions when you add a chemical of your choosing. The idea is that you start by converting the letters of your message, and these are very small messages generally, into numbers, which gives you a starting code where the words are represented by a series of numbers. But then to add extra protection and hide that code further, you take the chemical MSMS, dissolve it in ethanol, and add whatever additional chemical signal you want, which could be something easy to get like a brand of soda or beer or eyedrop solution. The idea, though, is just that it's something secret between you and the receiver. So you take a cheap handheld spectrometer, use that on your MSMS and a random chemical solution, and you get a fluorescence emission spectrum whose values you can use to further scramble the numbers that hold your message. The receiver gets the scrambled numeric code and decodes the message by repeating the process above. They dissolve the MSMS in ethanol 
call, add the secret chemical, and generate the encryption key. Using that method, the scientists were able to hide top-secret messages like, please send me the results ASAP, and (laughs) my supervisor drives me crazy. They also created a way to make this method more secure, requiring multiple chemicals that are added in a distinct order, like a password, to generate the encryption key. They're doing this, like, physically, in the real world... Yes. With chemicals. Mm-hmm. We know how the chemicals are going to react. Couldn't they just eh. make a computer program? Not really. Would simulate. Well, so know? like, but then if it's just in a computer, then you can't like pass a chemical that contains the information. But also we don't really know. Like oh. ultimately a lot of chemical reactions, if you're using a bunch of like weird stuff, uh-huh. like the chemical reactions are, are if there's like a mixture, it's going to be weird. I thought chemistry was predictable. Chemistry is predictable if you know exactly what's in there. But with a beer or a soda, like you literally oh. don't know the chemicals. But even in those there. things, couldn't those vary enough from bottle to bottle to uh, yeah. be bad, to not work great? Not so much with things, things that are like major brands. Okay. They work pretty hard to hit consistency. Okay. Uh-huh. So your top secret message relies on the quality control of Coca-Cola's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Which I mean... Coca-Cola probably has better quality control than <laughs> the, well, a lot of chemical companies. It just seems like it's a lot of work. A lot of work. It's most, I mean, mm-hmm. and, the, and the messages you can get across are going to have to be like low information messages mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's just not enough resolution in an emis- emission spectrum. Is it low information or just low word count? Because what if you... Like you could have a password. Yeah. That's or a one name or, or sure, name. Yeah. Sure. Like, who do you kill? Yeah. This name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, not very many characters, but it is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just really like how because we've gotten better at decrypting things just by brute force and probability and finding patterns in the messages. The new encryption methods that we've come up with. It's like. Invisible ink was so 2,000 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do like a bunch of random chemicals that you first have to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there like a big movement back to physical things because of the way the computers are? Is that like a new frontier of... Oh. I don't know, man. We should get these burning notebooks again. Uh-huh. Those ones definitely worked. Have Sounds a like a pain them. in the butt, though. Yeah, having mm-hmm. a bunch of them around the office might not be a great idea. You can't, like, <laughs> leave them in sunlight for too long. <laughs> is it my turn now? Yeah. Yep. All right. So, password-based security is a pretty flawed system. Some Sucks. statistics that I read said that 73% of people... These duplicate passwords oh, for God. I everything. Can't it's not more than that. Yeah, right. And one fourth of those of people, not necessarily the same people, but one fourth of people have not changed their password in more than ten years. Wow. So well, Reese, if it ain't broke. It is. <laughs> it is broke. If it's been ten years, I guarantee you it's broke. <laughs> So researchers and tech companies are always on the hunt for more secure systems that are also feasible to get into people's homes because of like affordability and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And there are like lots of options that we see already, like eye and face and fingerprint scanning Mm -hmm. that are becoming more and more common as that stuff gets cheaper. But in 2013, a team at UC Berkeley tested a type of security key that is potentially even more secure than fingers, eyes, and faces, all of which could be cut off of your body. (laughs) (laughs) You can't cut my face off. Your brain John waves. Travolta. 
Well, I could try. Your brain waves is what I said oh, while you oh. said John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> so using a $200 gaming headset with a built-in EEG, which apparently is a thing, oh. they devised seven different activities these researchers did, such as focusing on your breathing, imagining singing a song, and thinking about your favorite sport, and had 15 <laughs> test subjects repeat these five times to produce a specific brain pattern uh-huh. key. Uh, then they trained the program to authenticate users based on their brain patterns and ended up being able to correctly identify users 99% of the time. 99% is not good it's enough. It's not enough. Well, no. That's what they said, too. <laughs> but like, you're getting there. <clears throat> yeah. Can I, and, what, what else could I picture? I want to know what else my password could be. Could my password be like just the <laughs> image of a dog with wings okay. jumping out of a plane? So yeah. one of the things they said was that they gave people the option to think of whatever they wanted yeah. as their password, but that the people always picked things that were too complicated and it didn't <laughs> work right. So... <laughs> So you just uh, showed us how that works. (laughs) Oh, wow. Great. Good job, me. So based on my understanding of the paper, which probably isn't the best, it's like when you're signing into Google and you put your email address in, except instead of typing the password after that, you would think the password. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like you could plug in and think like, I am Sam, and it would know who you were. Because (laughs) they tried to do a thing where with the same setup where they were identifying people just based on their brainwaves, and they could only do it 22% of the time. So you have to have like a password, and then it's like, this is what your brain should look like, and then it matches it Mm -hmm. against what your brain has looked like previously. I just have to think about my favorite (laughs) sport. It's like, ah, mm, sport people, look at them go. (laughs) And then my computer's unlocked. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. So they narrowed the activities down. So at first they were having people go through all seven of the activities, but eventually they narrowed it down to just the breathing task where you think about your breathing for 10 seconds and then a weird audio task where you listen to it a tone and you look at a dot on the screen and those two things together were just as effective as all of them combined wow Um, okay yeah so and then some of them were too boring like moving your (laughs) finger there's one where you just moved your finger and that was too boring and it didn't work right (laughs) so basically what they concluded was that they were able to with Carefully designed tests make a really cheap EEG reader work just as well as a really advanced one. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a wrinkle that I found. So other researchers looked at similar EEGs, and they found that if you're too drunk, caffeinated, or you just worked out, it can make all of the authentication fail up to the point of like 33%. That's already a problem. Well, it's a problem, or it's not a problem, where your email is like, you too drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're emailing. (laughs) No, but sometimes I I couldn't get into my phone when it was the touch uh, when there's yeah. a fingerprint, if I had worked out too yeah. hard, because you're swelled up different. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, same pump. with me, except Pumped for long them. baths. Oh, long, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to unlock your iPhone after you're all pruny. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Also, I want to know other physical activities because this finger—that's obviously not going to work. But what if I do the Macarena? That might be too complicated, Hank. You're thinking too big. (laughs) What if I do like the honk honk movement? That would be that would be a good one. Truck horn. That would be great. Yeah, Yeah. finger. There's not enough muscle. Yeah, you you make the noise too. More joints involved. (laughs) I just want to be able to unlock my iPhone by doing a dance. It sounds to me like you have to use different parts of your brain. Like that's what they're going for. So like Uh. focusing on your breathing is like calm down, and then Mm -hmm. focusing on a point is like intense something and that's why or like if you're thinking about a dog with wings or you're doing something complicated then that's just like your Uh, frontal lobe all over the place or like a lot of things yeah at Mm. once so i can imagine if you feel things very strongly i don't know i don't know enough about neuroscience but it's like okay i'm gonna think about a really sad thing i'm gonna think about a really funny thing i'm gonna do the truck horn honk Uh like that might be 
enough of a discrete yeah. sequence mm. as long as like each thing is different. Oh, right? as long as you didn't you didn't necessarily have to think of a specific sad thing. Right. You just, just like, be like go between you have to mm. be like sad, happy, honk. Or like really visual stimulation, really audio stimulation because I think that's what mm. like imagining a song is like. It's probably like <sighs> Right. Stimulating auditory. Right. Do it based on taste. Yeah, you, you, have, to eat a, you have to, to eat unlock. a hamburger. To oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> Hank, why are you listening to Do You Believe in Life After Love while eating Cool Ranch Doritos so much? It's my password. <laughs> well, go. we have to replace passwords. By the time I'm dead, I want there not to be passwords. Mm-hmm. That's the legacy I want to leave. Well, so our. Like when I was reading this, I was thinking, but you could just have a fingerprint scanner or a face scanner and that's just as good. Is that just as good? Or is like, is that more secure? I think because like I'm watching too much crime TV. Yeah. You can cut off a (laughs) finger. You can cut off a finger. You can, there are ways to preserve fingerprints in ways that certain scanners can be fooled because it's just like the loops and whorls on it. I don't know about face, uh, how facial recognition works, but like computers have flawed yeah, you just 3D print somebody's face. But then they have thermal cameras now. A heated bust. <laughs> I think they have that technology. <laughs> so it's time for you guys to vote for whose fact you like the best. Oh boy. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Hank. Sam. <gasps> I can't believe I got a point out of that. <laughs> Sam's was so good. Sam's was very good. But I like the idea of soda f- secrets. That is just I like that cool. too. Soda secrets. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This question is from at Ninja Frost Pan. <laughs> Maybe. What is the oldest known example of cryptographic writing? You want to take a guess? Well, there's the Caesar thing, which is like the simplest cryptographic example that I can think of. But I don't Caesar know if it's thing? the most ancient. That's where you like just shift the alphabet oh, yeah. by a, a certain number of num- or letters. Is that something that Caesar did, Julius? I think so. Am I correct? Yes, I'm getting a nod from the science <laughs> couch. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> That's all I know about it. Yeah, the Caesar cipher is pretty old. Julius Caesar used it allegedly, I think we're pretty sure, from like 50 to 60 BCE. That's a crappy cipher. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he liked an alphabet shift of three. So not even very many. <laughs> yeah. Just like... <laughs> Just so you can't like glance at it. Yeah. Before that, from like 600 to 500 BC was the Atbash cipher, mm. um, which started originated in Hebrew. And that's most commonly where you have like the alphabet forwards and then the alphabet backwards. And so like Z right. maps to A mm-hmm. and B maps okay. to okay. Y. But it's another like fairly commonly used one mm-hmm. as far as like teaching kids codes. Before that, also around the 5th century BCE, there is a device called a skittily that the Spartans used. Those and are the rods? Yeah. Okay. So what it is, it's like a strip of fabric with letters written on it. And then you have to have a rod of a certain circumference to wrap it around. And the sender and the receiver have to have the same diameter rod so that it actually forms a message when you spiral it around instead of just like jumbling mm, the letters weirdly. Cool. And so it wasn't a super good way. It doesn't wave. seem super secure. No. Like everyone's just going to have you a like set of rods. You get a bunch of different rods. Ace Hardware. Yeah, you mm-hmm. just don't, do it you around just... your pinky finger. Yeah. Do it around your index yeah. finger. Yeah. <laughs> do it around your leg. Humans are made of rods of various sizes. Oh my <laughs> God. What a terrible system. <laughs> yeah. And there's some dispute as to whether that actually existed. So some no. people are mm. like, we were basing this off of some of Plutarch's writings saying that there was that a skittily. Anything. But it might have just been a method of communication so not huh. encryption 
it would just oh, could just have like been a like a fun way to send yeah. messages. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what else Plutarch said? No. The mind is but, not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. Wow. I did know that. The oldest one, allegedly, Ooh. is the Egyptian tomb of Khnumhotep II Gosh. from 1900 BCE, where the normal hieroglyphics were replaced with like fancy, strange ones. Mm. The thing is, so like a lot of people list this as the oldest code, uh, the oldest encryption, mm-hmm. because the writing was being changed from what was normal. So not everyone would have been able to decipher right. it. But people, like historians, aren't sure whether it's trying to hide a message or if it's just like a fancy version. It's like just the, cursive. Yeah. Or <laughs> instead of writing out like 1863 for 1863, they, they were writing like the year of our Lord, 1863. Right. Huh. Like a fancy version yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. because it's four score. Because he's a fancy man. <laughs> right. So that is. The commonly cited oldest Hmm. form of cryptographic writing. Around the 8th and 9th century CE were when we started like really formalizing cryptographic messages. And these were all Arabic scholars because they were developing a bunch of math and then also Mm -hmm. like cryptography. Bunch of nerds. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just a bunch of Arabic nerds. If you want to ask the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents. We will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at... Bozaster at the beekeeper and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Sam Buck final scores. Sari is the winner with three, and the rest of us are all. Oh. If we all add up, we have is have three. Uh, <laughs> get used to it. I think Our that's man. my prediction for oh. this season. Mm. It's going to be the season of Sari. Yeah, totally. If you like the show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful. It also helps us know what you liked about the show. And we're going to be looking at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Hank Green. I'm at C.E. Riley. I'm at It's Me, Stefan Chin. And I'm at Slam Schultz. S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. It's spelled wrong everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes, along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakra Vardy. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. In 2017, preservationists were restoring a church in Spain. uh, And when they were moving a big sculpture of Jesus's crucifixion, they noticed something rattling around inside of it. Uh, They were looking at the statue and found a secret compartment in the statue's butt. Uh, and inside was a letter from a chaplain at the church from 1777. It's not very scientific, but he did talk about it being a particularly good year for crops, uh, that malaria and typhoid were going around, and that the Inquisition was doing its thing. And then historians put the note back in the butt for future generations to enjoy. Oh, <laughs> what was the note? Who was it to? The future? I think it was just like a, for fun. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't addressed to anybody, I don't think. He just felt like putting it in there capsule yeah Yeah. it's just a time capsule everyone's gonna look at the butt 
So that's where you got to hide your stuff. So, 17th century <laughs> pastors are like, right now, we're really a bit stuck up about butts in the future. Everybody's going to be looking at them. <laughs>